All right, welcome back everyone to week two. Again, my name is Adam Bergato. I'm here with Pidge, and I was just joking with Pidge. Pidge and Piaget, it sounds so close. Is Pidge a nickname? Are you like Piaget Jr.? I am not. <laughs> I am part of the Pigeon family. Ah, there it is. I was wondering if you were going to share with us the uh, the unique nickname. Yeah, my maiden name is is uh, Pigeon, so Pidge got uh, shortened, and I found out uh, a little while after I had actually uh, adopted the nickname that uh, I am Pidge the Fifth in my family. So, Pidge the Fifth. Yes. <laughs> Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. No, it's great. I love that you share a little bit about uh, who you are with us in these, these fun and unique ways. Really excited about week two. We've got two really interesting uh, philosophers who are also really unique. Piaget and, of course, Skinner. Why on earth? Well, no, actually, I'm not going to ask you that because, you know, that's actually what we're asking them this week. In fact, this is probably a good place to start. So do you want to warn them about the uh, the blog post this week? Oh, we are going, yes. So you are going to be doing a blog post this week. And uh, what we want, uh, I don't know if you've ever gone onto a blog, I would highly suggest that you do a search on them and, and look at them and see what they are like. They are very different from any other um, formal writing format. Um, very informal in their presentation. Uh, there's not a whole, the, the content has to be concise and, and very uh, rich, but it isn't a lot of content. And then you have these other parts that are, um, that are used for blogs for, for like pictures and, and other kinds of activities and things. So that's what we want you to actually put into your blog, as well as the, 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 the print contact. Con content your pictures mean and your other um, items that you might use other tools that you might use mean a lot in your blog and they need to kind of relate back to your blog and pull your reader into the content as well pictures are worth a thousand words right <laughs> yeah exactly pictures are worth a thousand words i agree with you 100 i was going to say that you know the multimedia element is really important in the blog post because while you're going to be sharing while well, you're going to be answering the question, you know, why on earth did we pick these uh, these two philosophers? And that that's one of the questions you can answer, of course. Uh, there's a couple different prompts for you to look at, and it's, it's really up to you, but it's really about synthesizing the big ideas in an applicable and fun way, and that's where the multimedia comes into play. But I will say that when it comes to conciseness, it's conciseness is a relative term. I think that you use the word concise and rich, which to some might be an oxymoron, but think about it in terms of how much information can you share using you know very few words economy of words and it's very difficult to do that in writing it's very easy to see something that's a thousand words and it has no it boils down to nothing versus something that's 200 words but is rich and and, and has depth and it's you know it, it takes time to uh to synthesize in your mind and that's that's kind of what you're going to be dealing with this week with skinner and uh piaget you got a couple chapters from Piaget, and then you've got a couple articles uh, from Skinner. So first things first, let's dive in to some kind of big ideas or for some some signs, some signposting for our amazing students. What are some things that you want them to be keeping in mind as they read good old Piaget? Piaget is all about stages. He um, observed his children to start with when he worked, when he started working on his theory, and then he developed four stages of thinking and how they were supposed to look at the world. Um, so he was, he was really the first one to, to document that 
that uh, children learn different things at different places and they can do things at different places. Whereas if you, perhaps if you go to the, the, a kindergarten child, they're not going to be able to do mathematics as at an algebraic level. So you have to really set things up in order for them to, um, in order for students to be able to learn, you have to set things up for them to be successful to learn. Otherwise it's kind of pointless and fruitless. Do you think that was a, a pretty big idea, a pretty unique idea at the time? Because we talked last week about the Industrial Revolution. I mean, the whole idea was, right, is that we can get everyone at the same place at the same time in the same way. But that was more for adults. But we also, you know, later on, we also knew, began to figure out that that didn't work for adults. But it was revolutionary for Piaget to come up with this stuff. And I think, um, you know, if you look at education at that time, we weren't really good at it. Uh, there was a lot of, of, of presentation. There was a lot of, uh, there were, you know, schools were beginning to get to, to moving forward and to getting started. But it was, it was more of a punitive society. It wasn't, um, it, it wasn't one where we recognized that there was an innate uh, ability or or drive in a child but even i mean think about it if you look at your little ones if you look at children and and especially um babies and as a baby grows up and the how their motivation to learn and to love i mean they love to study they love to look at their toes and their fingers and figure out what they do they love to um, you know, they fall down and stand back up. They're they're constantly pushing forward, and they don't usually quit. I mean, if they have that love from their home life, and um, you know, if they have a safe environment where they're looking, and even if they don't, children really move to learn a lot. So this was. It, you know, I don't think we ever made the real connection that Piaget made, though. We saw that they loved that learning, but Piaget puts it in a completely different context for us. You know, that's an interesting point. I think you've done a really nice job of segueing us into Skinner when you talk about that punitiveness. And I think the, the, the worst thing that we do to all learners, including children, is we accidentally take away their drive. We accidentally demotivate them, right, you know, through conditioning. And I love what you're talking about with, with how children learn very Montessori of you, very much interest-based, letting them kind of experiment uh, and try new things. There's a lot of different terms that people use to describe this. But yeah, it, it definitely may feel more common sense to us now, but it's very important to note that at the time you're absolutely right, it, it was revolutionary. And, and my point about the Industrial Revolution was just that it was this idea that everything can be a system, right? Everything's, you know, we can get everything. You know, my, Let me put it in context for you, right? My dissertation advisor would always say, kids are not like Happy Meals. You, you can't just go to Kansas and get a Happy Meal that looks exactly the same as one that looks in Michigan. Like that's just not the way kids work, right? Everything is different. And so to recognize that innate ability in children and uh, recognize that they are going to be different, they're going to be at different stages and that type of thing, I think it's sometimes forgotten today. Am I, am I wrong for assuming that? Like, what do you think? Oh, I don't think you're wrong at all. I think you're right on. And I, you know, the, the differences that we need to, that we need to be alerted to our children. I think we are more now today than we ever have been in that our kids are different and they have different 
um, they have different drives. They're going to have different interests. They're going to be, you know, no, anybody who has two children can tell that children are not the same. And even if you have twins, they are not exactly the same. They might look exactly alike. They have the same DNA, but as far as their interests and, and their their talents and their gifts, they are completely different. They are completely different individuals. So, um, and I think this is one of the places I, I actually think that, that, uh, um, for children, Piaget started this whole process of thinking, but then, um, when we move into Skinner, Skinner's, I don't know. He's for me, he's a little bit scary. Don't show your bias right away. (laughs) Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it's too late now. But... Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> okay, so why is Skinner scary for you? Because of the the conditioning mindset, and I, you know, so I love movies. So not too long ago, I found a movie, and I watched it, and it was about this um, this. Uh, I, I I love the Hallmark, I, the sappy, crazy movie. So this was all about a relationship. And this one um, um, young woman, she's married and to her husband. And then this other woman who's her friend is the is considered the crabby one and the one who can't ever, you know, she doesn't ever find the right soulmate. And she thinks because I'm so ornery, I'm never going to find the right soulmate. And her, you know, her. Any t- people are trying to fix her up because she's young and her mom wants her to get married. They want grandkids in the family and all this kind of pressure that, that young adults feel. Wait, this was a so, movie? I, I feel like this is like real. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> right. It is. Right. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so they get along in the movie and um, she keeps saying, well, you guys are really happy. Why are how come you are so happy? And then she starts watching what her friend is doing to her husband. And her husband, her her husband is being conditioned. So every time that he does something that she wants him to do, she gives him a quote unquote treat, you know, and it, it's usually food, or it could be, you know, um, uh, time to go out with his friends or, or, you know, time to go down to the bar and have a beer or something, you know, something that he would relate to, or he would want to do. Um, that's what she gives him a treat. And, um, yes. And the marital process is, is part of that too. You know, <laughs> yeah. but it's just, it was so funny. And all of a sudden, um, the ornery friend looks at this and says, you're training him, yeah. which is what exactly what Skinner is trying to do with kids. He wants them to be trained. And yes, there's a certain point of our lives as parents, we try to, you know, we're even, you know, you, you train your children, you, you give them boundaries. You, you talk to them about what is appropriate, what is inappropriate. You talk to them what is moral and immoral, ethical, non-ethical. And you raise your children in that kind of an environment, but it's different with Skinner. And that's one thing, you know, you really have to dig in and try to and feel that difference and why, why I think it's so scary. <laughs> no, I, Pidge, I agree with you. I, I did not like Skinner when I first read about him. I don't like the idea of trying to condition behavior. I'll tell you, there was a really funny book uh, and it was um, based on an article that was, uh, it was like a New York Times, uh, you know, best 
best article and it was what Shamu taught me about a happy marriage. And it was this pet trainer basically who trained uh, whales and, and she used that on her husband to basically train him. And it was this whole book about positive reinforcement and, and all that unique stuff that, that Skinner kind of talked about. So, I mean, we have to admit that, you know, conditioning is a real thing and that it, it definitely is a way to, I, I think, curb or potentially control behavior. But I think the thing to keep in mind about Skinner is, is that, you know, he was really a scientist. I mean, he did all these studies on, on rats and, and it was all about operant behavior. And you can, you can read about that a little bit more. We have some optional resources for you, but I mean, everything that his frame of reference was all about basically, you know, rats, whereas PJ was kids, although maybe that was the same thing to them, but I'm just kidding. But, um, thanks. A little delayed laugh there, Pidge. But anyway, the point is, the, the point is, is that it's really interesting to see their frame of reference, where they were coming from. And, and so thankfully, Skinner, in his long, long book, at the very end, talks about drive. Now, you, you, you might not sense that in the readings you have, the very distilled readings of Skinner, because Skinner goes on and on. But, you know, Skinner's book about operant condition, conditioning, I mean, it, it goes on forever. And, it's, and it talks about yes. the difference between the drive and the conditioning. So, Yes. And that's that's transactional versus transformational, right? It's this idea like you can, you know, the joke was in, in school, people used to joke when we talked about leadership was, you know, if you if you um, if you get them to show up with a hamburger, you have to lead them with a steak. And so there's something at stake there, right? It's yes. that, you know, if you use transactional methods, you got to up the ante more and more and more. That treat that you talked about changes. And we're talking about bribery right now, right? We're talking about like how we accidentally or on purpose, you know, bribe students. And, you know, I always love to think about points. So, Pidge, I'm going to tell you a personal story that was part of the reason why I don't like teaching anymore. So, I, I taught for seven years at Central Michigan University. I've, I've taught a couple of semesters here at Purdue. And I always run into the problem with points. And I used to joke with my students that it's like Pokemon. Got to catch them all. Got to catch them all. <laughs> I know it's funny, but it's true. We have conditioned students to believe that points are what matter, not what, not how we earn those points. And I hear angry professors at you know every single you know faculty orientation. Do I have to do extra credit? And I always tell them, I say you have to have the conversation with your students. What's important? If you don't tell them what's important, they're going to revert back to classical conditioning, which is get the points, get the points. And that's right. not just unique to us in, in in the United States of America. That's in every country. And so while there's truth to all these philosophies, think about the philosophical framework. This is specifically considered behaviorism, right? Behaviorism, whereas Piaget was liberal. Look at the difference between liberal arts, progressive, and of course, behavior. They're very, very different. Now, there are some, there are some things that we can keep in mind. Um, and obviously... There are there's a lot of truth to what Pitch said about the scariness of of uh, you know the the conditioning, but really think about how these are tied together in some ways for better and for worse, and how that affects the learning environment. Yes, it. Oh wow, you really made a very good connection there, Adam, and that's one of the things between Piaget and Skinner. I think that they are both. They, they both have similar, I guess, similar love for the field. You know, they, they really want to understand their um, children and they want to understand parents and they want to understand the process and what is going, you know, I think they're also interested in what makes people succeed and what pe makes people doesn't. We're still studying this. I mean, you, you had mentioned before in some of our conversations, Carol Dweck and the whole mindset thing. 
Um, well, her, I mean, Carol Dweck is all into, has been pulled a lot into K-12 education right now and is, is one of the hot things as far as how to, and, and we also have been talking about it a long time, how to intrinsically motivate the learner because we can't force anybody to learn. And I think that's what Piaget and Skinner were both trying to do is they were still in that punitive area in that punitive arena where that, 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 that thought process where, and, and we still have it. I mean, if you look at our prison system, it's still all about being punitive. It's, it's all about um, the worst conditions you can possibly apply that means they're not going to want to do it again. They're going to want to get out. And they're not going to want to get it. Well, it doesn't work. You know, it, it obviously it doesn't work. If you look at our systems, it doesn't work. So that's one of the things we want to be very, you know, just be very alert to, to see that this was, this was part of the process. This was part of the thinking and, and moving forward. Why are we having you look at two child psychologists? You know, why are we doing that? So think that through. I don't want to give you too much more. Well, let me just say one, one, well, actually two, two quick points. So first of all, Carol Dweck is a great example of looking at behavior, you know, in the 21st century and different ways of, of creating environments. Cause that's something that I want to say, I think is really important is that I think you have to look at, you know, a scientist is going to look at the environment and I'm going to throw in another philosopher, Kurt Lewin, you know, who talked about, um, you know, behavior being personality and environment. So throw that in the mix too. Think about that. I mean, were they saying this is about creating the environment? Were they saying this was about looking at the person? I mean, those are things to think about. Those philosophers, you know, which one were they erring towards, or were they were they thinking about both? But if you are interested in, um, you know, Piaget, I wanted to just make a, uh, yeah. Let me let me rephrase that. If you're interested in Piaget and you're having trouble sleeping, pick up Keegan. But I'll <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Keegan is very much. He was very influenced by Piaget. Uh, and, uh, he is very much, uh, like Piaget, but the, the process for adults, but I agree with you, uh, Piaget, Piaget, <laughs> I agree with you, Pidge, also known as Piaget. I, 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 we will leave it at that. So any closing thoughts about, uh, about this week before we close out our weekly podcast? Um, well, you know, I, I think, um, I want to kind of address some of the the assignments that we're doing in this in this course. Um, we are they're they're different assignments, and normally we would have you write, um, but I I really hope that that doing some of these different kind of activities helps you to think about presenting things in a different way. You know, again, I, we're looking at you, the student, in two different frameworks. We're looking at you as a student, but we're also looking you, at you as an adult educator. So um, when you complete your projects, think about that. Okay, so I am a student and I have to do this project um, in order to pass this class. How's that for punitive? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also an adult educator. So how could I, how can I use this information or use this time to think about ways that I'm going to relate to my student, you know, as an educator, what do I want to, what do I want to portray? What do I want to give back? You know, how do I want to push this forward? And um, that's really why, we're we're thinking about the course this way so um hopefully this helps hopefully this 
you know, this helps you framework, whereas I don't know that writing a paper would, you know, writing a paper doesn't necessarily catch all those, those pieces. So hopefully this helps you think about different ways that you can present, not only present material, but also different ways that people can be attracted and be pulled in and find that their own, um, their own drive to push forward. Well, and that's, that's your teaching philosophy as well, right? It is. It is. Or it links I back know. to it rather. Yeah, it is. It is all about um it is all about empowering. It is all about facilitating the process. Um yeah. So in other classes we talk about power and and uh, I really try to remove myself from that power place. So Well, Pidge, as always, this is a pleasure. I hope your students uh, find this enjoyable. I hope this is a great prep or a primer for you as you begin to get into the readings. It's always good to to kind of step foot in the philosopher's shoes before you read their words. Also, one last note, the reason why we're asking you to read the primary sources is because we want you to interpret it and we want to know how you're interpreting this. Obviously, we're giving you kind of a glimpse of how we're interpreting it, but that's not necessarily how you may interpret it and that's okay. But we hope this at least prepares you for what you're about to read and also helps you understand the value of reading it from the philosopher's mouth instead of someone summarizing the philosopher. That's right. You got it, Adam. The more you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>